I'd try it. I did hit it before? Oh, boy. I know I sang that song a few times, but I don't know about hitting that one. I don't know. Maybe in a younger day. I don't know. I don't know. That was, that was gutsy to go for that one, and you did a good job on it. I don't think I could hit it today. I'd probably break every piece of glass in here. It'd be like Ella Fitzgerald or something, you know? <clears throat> How many of you ever seen those Memorex commercials and she's breaking glass? That'd be me on that one, boy. Well, anyway, tonight we're glad you're here, and um, I have a couple of things to accomplish. First of all, uh, of course, we got our message tonight, and then I've got something very quickly I want to ask you to pray about uh, concerning our buildings. But um, <clears throat> we're going to pick up where we left off this morning. I may take just a few moments and summarize very quickly what we discussed this morning in our message, and then we're going to finish it up. We only got through about half of it, really, and uh, so I want to take the time to uh, finish that this evening. So Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, and again on the Sunday mornings uh, we are in a series that I've entitled uh, Characters of Christmas and this morning we uh, addressed or dealt with Joseph. Last week we had uh, dealt with Mary and so uh, we're going to go ahead and see what we can learn about Joseph today, what he can teach us and uh, he teaches us a tremendous truth and uh, we'll mention that again as we move forward. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> we're going to begin in, in verse 18 here. Matthew chapter 1, that's a pretty easy one to find, isn't it? And uh, so let's go ahead and begin reading in verse 18. I'll read aloud. You read silently with me there. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Bible says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. When as his mother Mary was a spouse to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus." For he shall save his people from their sins. Now all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child, and shall bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, being, which being interpreted is God with us. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him, and took unto him his wife. And knew her not till she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. This morning we began to speak about this issue, and we started talking about Joseph, and we recognized the fact that Joseph was very confused, that he had <clears throat> uh, planned on uh, consummating the marriage with Mary, his espoused wife. And again, we don't have the time to go through it all again, but the espousal was nothing more than an, an actual contract that had already been entered into. They were as married as anyone in this room is married when you stand before a preacher and say, I do. They simply needed to consummate the marriage. Joseph needed only to put his house in order to prepare his finances and then go get Mary and bring her to his home where they would consummate the marriage. Now, uh, he then, all of a sudden here, in the midst of all of this, <clears throat> he finds out that Mary is with child already. Well, of course, he's very confused. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's even thinking to himself, should I put her away privately? Should I allow her to be publicly stoned? 
And in those days, that was how things were handled. You did not commit uh, this kind of charge or sin and it not be dealt with in most cases. Now, he could put her away privately. He could choose to do that, mercifully allow her to live and continue in her life. But let me tell you, her life would not be the same, guaranteed. And so he was thinking on that. He was very confused. He didn't know exactly what to do. But then Joseph was confronted. We know that uh, the Lord sent an angel. And he says to Joseph, he says, listen, uh, what, that child that's conceived in Mary, that child that now exists in the womb of that, that wife of yours, that little wife, that is none other than God himself planted there by the Holy Ghost, a supernatural conception. And you don't need to fear. She's not been with another man. She's simply been with God. And God has chosen to use her as a vessel, which indeed will provide him a, a, a body, which he will then take to Calvary, die and shed his blood on behalf of the sin of mankind. So he's confused, but then he's confronted. And then because of that confrontation, he is convinced that this is none other than God himself that's doing a great and mighty work. Joseph is then committed to this whole thing. Very committed. As a matter of fact, he and his wife do not come together, at least, or, nor do they, do they consummate the marriage till after the birth of Jesus Christ. And so we see that Joseph is a tremendous man of God, that he has truly uh, found himself uh, among the elite, if you will. (laughs) He had a major issue, a wife who is with child, and yet they had not yet come together. And so as we looked at that situation, we said, what can Joseph teach us? And we, we took the time to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 24, where it says, Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. <clears throat> even though his whole world was turned upside down, even though he literally had, uh, uh, had to face a number of issues in his life, even though his heart was devastated, his happiness demolished, his hope was destroyed, Joseph obeyed God. And so we learned that, that is, that's the thing that we learned from Joseph, obedience, to obey. Mary, we talked about last week, and we noted some things about her. This week, we noticed about Joseph that he teaches us to obey. And so with that said, we talked about obedience for a while. We spent some time doing that this morning. And now tonight, I want to talk about three thoughts, or three thoughts that I have concerning obedience. Uh, and so we're going to take that time or this time tonight, to do just that. Three thoughts about obedience. That's all we're going to discuss, and then we'll be done this evening, all right? Now, I do have 12 pages of notes, but other than that, that's all we're going to discuss. We'll be in good shape, all right? All right, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll move on. Father, we do thank you again for this opportunity that we have to gather tonight, and Lord, to truly allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak to our heart, to drive the truths of the Word of God deep in our soul. Lord, we will have wasted our time tonight if we meet with a mere man. We have to meet with you, the Master. Holy Spirit of God, fill me. May I be your mouthpiece, Lord. Stand in my shoes. And Father, may you be with every single listener. May you anoint their ears that they may hear, yes, physical, physically, the words that come from my lips, but more importantly, that they will hear spiritually the voice of God. Now, Father, we need you tonight. We are needy people. Speak to our hearts and may we be different for having come. Lord, we'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. 
Three thoughts about obedience tonight. Number one, I want to share the truth. In our passage, in our previous message, I should say, we learned about Mary. We learned that she believed. And, and the fact is, is that when she went to meet with Elizabeth, Elizabeth made the statement, she said, And blessed is she that believed. And because Mary believed, she trusted God. So we learned that Mary, Mary taught us to trust to trust God. And she could trust God because she believed. That belief enabled her to trust. In our passage this morning, we learned again that here's Joseph. Joseph is pondering. He's thinking about how or what he should do concerning Mary. He's thinking, you know what? I think I've come to a conclusion. I'm going to put her away privily. I'm going to go ahead and just be done with her, but I'm not going to publicly humiliate her and ultimately have her stoned. I'm going to privately put her away. And as he's thinking about these things, he's met by the angel. And we then see his, the result of that meeting. Then Joseph, being raised from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him. <clears throat> Can you imagine how he felt going to bed that night? His Bride, anywhere from 12 to 16 years of age. This young woman who he had truly decided that he would invest his life in, give himself wholly to, live and share for a lifetime together. He finds her with child. Again, his whole life is upheaved. His whole world turned upside down as he tries to sleep that night. But in the midst of that Evening in, in the midst of that night, that dream comes and the, whole, the, 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 the angel of God speaks to his heart <clears throat> and shares with him. And he finally comes out and says, you know what? I'm going to obey. I'm, he did as the angel of the Lord had bidden him and he took unto him his wife. <clears throat> That's belief. He believed. Because he believed, he could obey. The fact is this, here's the truth. When a person elects to believe, they will endeavor to obey. When a person elects to believe, when they choose to believe, then they will endeavor to obey. Obedience is a choice tonight. It is a choice. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 3, the Bible says, Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. Obedience is a choice. See, life is about choices, and you choose to do right or wrong. You choose to do good or evil. The devil didn't make anyone do it. You know, you've heard people say that. Well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You chose to do it. You made a conscious decision to disobey God and to obey the flesh or to obey Satan. We will permit Satan's influence to sway our decisions. Within the heart of man is a passion for evil. Everyone has that same propensity and that same passion. 
People say, well, within people, I'm sorry, I've got to come over here and see if there's something sticky on my feet. Otherwise, somebody spilled something behind that pulpit and it's driving me nuts. I think they spilled something. But nonetheless, please, that's why we don't let children up here on stage, folks. Can I just be quite frank with you? Because now it's driving me crazy because my feet stick and I hear it going. Okay? So if I'm distracted, it's whoever's fault spilled that stuff behind this pulpit. Take that to the grave with you. But anyway, <laughs> I'm just going to do a moonwalk back here and get this thing going. All right, now, <laughs> I'll deal with it, though. I will deal with it. But nonetheless, it's doing better already. Isn't that great? That, that, that quick footwork of mine is doing it, the job. But anyway, <clears throat> within the heart of man is a passion for evil. And so we are born into sin. And as a result of that sin, within us is sin. We are not inherently good. We are inherently evil. Therefore, there's a passion within us. And the devil simply fans the flames of our passions if we'll permit him to. I I was on a camping trip a number of years ago. It was one summer and uh, we took a group of young people, actually children, actually, out on a camping trip. And I remember as we arrived there in West Virginia, it was very, it was at the top of a mountain. And, and uh, when we got there, it wasn't long after we had arrived and we were just beginning our trek through the, uh, uh, through the trails that, I mean, the, the rain just poured. I mean, it let loose. I thought for sure that we'd stepped back in Genesis 6 and uh, the flood, it was taking a place all over again, that God had forgotten his promise or something. I mean, it was just pouring. And I remember scrambling about, all of us trying to set our tents up and stuff, and we thought, it's never going to end. And so we're trying to set our tents up. And when mine finally got set up, I realized there was about two inches of water in the bottom of it. It was horrible. By this time, of course, everybody's drenched and everybody's cold, and the children are like all whiny and crying. And I calmed down most of them, 40 and below. And... Uh, <clears throat> Nonetheless, here we were up there on that mountain, you know, and we decided we better start a fire. We're going to need a fire to dry out. Now, the rain, fortunately, kind of held off. It was wet. It was damp. No doubt about it. It was just the ground saturated with water. We had to have something, though, to dry out. I still remember uh, trying to start that fire. I still remember gathering up wood. That wood was soaked, and everything was just so wet. And, and uh, uh, it, it took a while. Let's face it. I remember blowing on the fire, you know, whoo, trying to fan the flame. Whoo, whoo. And, man, my head got kind of dizzy, and I thought I was going to pass out. I mean, it was horrible. And uh, ultimately, the, the flame kind of caught, and that fire took, and pretty soon it was ablaze. But boy, it took a while. That, 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 that wood was so saturated, so wet. But we finally got that wood burning. Even as I fanned the flames of that fire, in order to get it blazing, Satan will spend time fanning the flames of our passions in order to set them ablaze. You need to understand that. You... <clears throat> When we consider Satan and your passions, when, when we think about those things, there's a couple questions that come to my mind. Number one, what kind of wood are you? You say, what do you mean, what kind of wood? Oak? No, I'm talking about, are you wet with the dew of heaven? Are you saturated with the water of his word? Are you submerged in the stream of his love and grace? Or are you simply dry and brittle? 
I'll tell you what, that's very important when it comes to this issue of fan, flames being, uh, the, the, the passions being fanned by the flames, uh, or you know what I'm talking about. But you know what, that's so important. And then secondly, are you allowing Satan to fan those flames? Listen, within you, there's passions. I mean, there are wicked and since, uh, evil desires that, that, that are lurking about, and the devil just wants to fan those flames. Those passions are rooted extremely deep within mankind. But they are as real as the nose on your face tonight. If you are close to Christ, then Satan's efforts to ignite those passions will yield him very little reward unless you permit him to continue to fan the flames. Listen, that wood was extremely wet. It was saturated, no doubt. But after time, even it caught fire. You cannot allow Satan to sit around fanning the flames. You cannot watch things and listen to things and surrender yourself to things and permit yourself to be influenced by those wicked things that will ultimately ignite the flames of passion in your life. Listen, obedience, obeying God, is a choice you make. You have to be so careful, and I have to be extremely careful tonight. We cannot allow Satan to stand over us and fan the flames. Because, see, if you permit your passions to smolder in the least, they will eventually ignite. That is a reality. That's why you need to be careful what you watch, what you you listen to. That's why we need to be so careful what we permit ourselves to be influenced by and the people that we surround ourselves with. That's why the Bible says, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. See, obedience is a choice tonight. Don't tell me either, and and don't tell me this, don't tell me that you believe, but you don't obey. That's kind of messed up, folks. If someone disregards uh, God's word and they, they ignore his commandments, then... There seems to be very little room for belief in my mind. I mean, to say that you believe, but then blatantly disobey God, that seems like a contradiction of statements. Why believe and I disobey? In James chapter 2, verse 17, he addresses this issue when he says, Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. So faith without works is what? Dead. That means it doesn't exist. You say, well, I believe and I have faith. No, you don't. Not if there's no works. It's dead. It's dead. It's dead. We are so quick to somehow convince ourselves that we are good to go. When in many cases, we are not even close to the standard that God intended for us in His Word. So we are are very quick to justify our actions. But we need to be very careful because, see, lip service cannot take the place of life service. When a person elects to believe, they will endeavor to obey. That is the truth. Number two, I want to note the treasure. When a person endeavors to obey, they will experience... God's favor. When you endeavor to obey, you will experience God's favor. That's the treasure. 
See, Joseph was a very young man when he was sold into slavery. He was sold into slavery, of course, by his brothers who were very, very jealous of him. They were jealous of the love their dad had for him even. They were jealous of the dreams that he had and of the hope that he had. So they sold him into slavery, but God's hand was upon Joseph. And, in, it, it, and, and, and he prospered wherever he went, whatever he did. In Genesis 39, 3 and 4, it says, And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his house, and all that he had he put into his hand. That's the favor of God. Everything that Joseph touched turned to gold. It just seemed like things worked out. Oh, he found himself in a mess often, no doubt about that. But that wasn't of his own doing. Whether it was in the house of Potiphar or the Egyptian prison or the house of Pharaoh, Joseph's life exhibited the favor and the hand of God. I can't imagine that there was anything more precious to Joseph Do you hear that? That's the devil tonight, boy. Change that over there. It shouldn't make a difference, but hopefully it will. I can't imagine there was anything more precious to Joseph in those lonely days than the favor of God and the hand of God on his life. I, I can't imagine it. I'm talking about the strong, steady, supernatural hand of God. You know, God looked down over the portals of heaven and he saw Joseph with each and every circumstance and situation in his life choose to obey his heavenly father. In every situation, Joseph made a conscious decision to obey the Lord. And boy, I'll tell you what, that delighted the God of heaven. And that obedience, Joseph's obedience, prompted God's favor in his life. We understand that God's favor is grace. There's no doubt that none of us deserve it. But when you live a life of obedience, you will prompt God's favor in your life. I have four children, and there is nothing in this world that makes me more fond of them. Did you hear what I said? Makes me more fond of them than when they obey me. You know, they could be the greatest athletes in the country. They could possess the greatest minds in the world. But there's nothing that brings me as great delight as their obedience. Nothing. Boy, to be able to speak out or to say something or to ask for something and for it to be done, that is a tremendous blessing. In my train-up child class, I uh, often find myself saying, and I mention it in every single class, that if you will train up your children, you will not only love them, but you will like them. You know, there's a difference between loving your children and liking them. Well, this thing is driving us nuts tonight, isn't it, brother? But there's a difference between loving and liking your kids. You know, you can love your children and not like them. 
I know a number of parents that don't like their kids. Matter of fact, I don't like their kids. <laughs> what was I allowed to say that? <laughs> well, you know what I'm talking about. You know that little brat at the restaurant. The one who runs around the table and screams at the top of their lungs. But if you did the same thing, they'd come and tell you to leave. There's a number of occasions I've come extremely close to just sitting at my table going, Ah! 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 I just want to scream. I want to go, Ha! 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 And when they come over and say, Sir, excuse me, you can't do that in this restaurant. You're going to have to leave. I want to go, Would you tell them that same thing? They're letting their kid do that, and it's interrupting my lunch, my dinner. How come I can't act the fool just like that little child is? It's, I know it's not their fault. It's their parents. Let's go spank them or something, but let's get it done. Doesn't that just bother the life out of you? Now listen, I'm going to be honest with you. It's hard to like a child who is rebellious and disobedient. Now you can love someone, but that doesn't mean you have to like them. I'm telling you. And somebody says, well, I've always liked my kids. Oh, yeah, whatever. If your kids are rebellious and disobedient, it's hard to like a child like that. Matter of fact, there's times you'd rather them not come over. Because maybe they're coming over for only one reason, to get what they can. Not for just, you know, loving you like they ought to. It's a sad situation, but it is a reality. Now, listen, I, I want God to like me. I don't want God just to love me. He will love me and he'll love you and he'll love us all, no doubt. It doesn't matter how we live or how we act. God loves us. But I don't want just the love of God. I want God to like me. I want to bring pleasure to God. And when he thinks about me, I want him to look up and, and say to all those around, that's my boy. That's my son. I'm proud of him. Boy, I want him to say that. I want him to think that when, about me. And you know, I want the favor of God in my life. I want the hand of God on my life. There's nothing, nothing more precious than the hand of God on your life. I've told my children this a number of times, and I'll continue to tell them, I'm sure, but I'll say it to them. I'll just sit and tell them. I'll tell them there's nothing I want more than God's hand on my shoulder. Why? Why? Well, in just a moment, we'll learn what the favor of God brings in our life. Psalm 5, verse 12 says, For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous with favor, wilt thou compass him as with a shield. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. That's somebody that's being obedient. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. When a child of God longs to please the master and practices obedience, they receive the greatest treasure of all, his favor. That's a treasure, folks. The favor of God. Do You know, I think sometimes, too often we're just not really concerned about God's favor. I think if we're not careful, we would prefer the favor of a girl or a boy. We'd prefer the favor of our friends. We'd prefer the favor of a boss. I mean, let's face it, they can give you a promotion. Let's face it, they could increase your salary. I want their favor. 
And that's fine. May I tell you, you ought to want the favor of your boss. You ought to want the favor of a wife. You ought to want the favor of a husband. You ought to want the favor of your children to some degree. But let me tell you this. Never should you want the favor of another above the favor of God. If every one of my kids hated my guts and God found favor in me, I'd be all right. If my wife turned her back on me today and said, I will not be your wife. I will not follow you. But God says, you've got my favor. I'll be all right. You know, the problem is too many men in this room would throw away God's favor for their wives. Too many women in this room would throw away God's favor for their husbands. You say, well, God would never ask me to do that. No, but I'll guarantee you, I've watched it happen in lives. I've watched one or the other turn away from God and the one follow them right out the door. I've watched it happen. I see it happen. And I continue to see the consequences of it. Don't tell me that we're all just such wonderful Christians here tonight. Because that soon, your life could change. One circumstance, one situation, one rejection in life. And all of a sudden, you are scrambling for someone's favor or something's favor instead of God's. Let me tell you something. You'll throw your life away. I want God's favor in my life. You know what? Before I want your favor, you say, well, preacher, we don't think you're a very good preacher. If God thinks I am, I don't care what you think. I don't care if that's what we're talking about. If it's a choice between your favor and God's, I'll take his any day. There's not a dime that you give that God can't triple, quadruple, and even tenfold or a hundredfold. That's why it's important that I stand up here and preach the word of God no matter who walks out the door. That's why I can't compromise the the, the truth of God's word for fear of losing a, quote, so-called half-tither. Ain't a whole lot of tithers in here, but but the ones at least trying. You ought to be tithing, by the way. I just said that because we're going to have something coming up in the month of February next year. It's going to be awesome. You know what it's going to be called? What's it going to be called, brother? I forgot what I called it. The tithe challenge. I knew it had tithe in it. I couldn't remember if I still was tithe month or tithe challenge. There it is, tithe challenge. you imagine? Get this. We're going to give everybody, everybody an opportunity to tithe in the month of February next year. I'm not even asking you to tithe past February. I'm just going to ask you to tithe for one month. That's all I'm going to ask you to do. Make a commitment to tithe for one month. You know why? I want to honestly see what God could do. I'd just like to see what God could do if every single person was tithing at Community Baptist Temple. I'd like to see if we'd even need a building fund. I'd like to see. I'd just like to see. You say, why are we going to take up all these offerings? Well, probably because the people of God aren't obedient to tithe. I'm sorry. You say, well, here you go, talking about tithing. This is the first time I've talked about tithing in how long? I just thought I'd throw it in there because I know you're really encouraged tonight. We're talking about obedience, so I know you want to hear about all this. <clears throat> I could tell. I saw somebody in the front row raise a sign and said, tithe. <laughs> Thanks, brother. I appreciate that. Yeah, he's, he did it. Right, yeah. <laughs> They're both going like that. <laughs> so what we learn is when a person endeavors to obey, they will experience God's favor. Now, let's go ahead and get to the last one. Their testimony. The testimony. When a person... Okay, well, let's, let's review those. Those are just too good, right? 
Number one, when a person elects to believe, they will endeavor to obey. When a person endeavors to obey, they will experience God's favor. Here it is now, the testimony. When a person experiences God's favor, they will enjoy God's blessings. Bless. That's true. I'm telling you what, that's awesome stuff right there. How can we forget Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? I mean, the blessings that they experienced are, I mean, carefully recorded for us in the Word of God. What about Moses or Joshua? Who can forget about even Job? He said, but he had all those problems. I know, but hold on a second. In the end, he received double from the hand of God. What are the many prophets who, whose ministries were filled with the supernatural and the miraculous? What about the kings who followed after righteousness and as a result experienced the power and the protection of God himself over them and their kingdoms? Throughout the Bible, it doesn't matter where you turn, we are introduced and we are impressed with those who's, who led their lives in obedience to God and who experienced the manifold blessings of a holy God in heaven. Then there is nothing like the blessings of God in our lives. And I know so often we take those for granted. I mean, we don't see certain things as blessing, and they really are blessings. And, and you know what? We're no different today. When you live a life of obedience, when I live a life of obedience, we're going to experience visible blessings in our lives. That's all there is to it. I'm not talking about just financial. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But we will experience visible blessings. Not only will we experience them, experience them, but others will recognize them as well in our lives. People around us will recognize it. In Psalms chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, <clears throat> turn there if you would. A great passage in the book of Psalm, chapter 1. I want to note three basic things, I guess, that, that, that favor brings, I mean, blessings that favor brings in our lives, I guess. Three basic ones. What, notice what it is here. Those blessings of God bring about some things. Here are those blessings. Um, first of all, he says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, chapter 1, verse 1, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. Somebody's focusing on the word of God. That means he's looking at the commands of God. Notice what it goes on to say here. <clears throat> and he, verse 3, shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Again, with God's favor comes God's blessings. And let me give you three simple blessings. There's nothing little about them, though. They're simple, but they're big. First of all, one of the tremendous blessings of God in our life is, the, is abiding peace. Abiding peace. The Bible says, He shall be like a tree planted by the river, rivers of waters. I can't help but think about peace when I think about that tree. I mean, think about a tree that's planted by... a a peaceful stream whose roots grow down into the rich and fertile soil. 
There as you look upon that tree, let's face it, you can see that gentle breeze blow upon its branches while that, the warm rays of sunlight tickle its leaves. Man, it's amazing. The peacefulness. And you know what? Our lives, the lives of the obedient are marked by that same peace. You know, we can be found planted in the presence of the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. Our roots can grow deep into His grace and His mercy. We can feel the gentle breezes of His Holy Spirit blowing on us. And we can feel the warm rays of His Word as they light a passion and a love for Him. That's a secret place, the Bible calls. A secret place. A place where it's very quiet. It's very peaceful. That's a place that we need to find. Abiding peace is a byproduct of obedience. You do not find abiding peace living in the world, exercising sin. You don't find that. As I mentioned this morning, it's sad that so many people retreat to the church in the midst of the consequences of sin, only when faced with another trial in their life, look back and only remember the pleasures of it. They fail to remember the consequences of their sin, that consequence that weighed so heavy on their shoulders, the consequences that caused them to retreat to the house of God. And to fall into the arms of Jesus Christ. Instead, they look back in the midst of maybe gossip in the church. Or they, they, they look back in the midst of maybe a trial in their life. Or a loss in their home. And they say, man, I remember what it was like on the other side. It was so much easier then. No, it wasn't. Or you'd have never retreated here. The problem is, is that we as humans are very good at forgetting the hurt. And only remembering the good. Well, you need to be so careful. You know, the only real place you find peace is in Christ's presence. He is the Prince of Peace. And as a result of that, when you receive God's favor, you're going to enjoy God's blessing. That abiding peace is something that you can ill afford to live without. Not only abiding peace, but answered prayer. Answered prayer. He says, bringing forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither. Do you realize that there is nothing out of your grasp or reach through prayer? David, the great psalmist and king of Israel, recorded this, though. He did say, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Conversely, we have to believe the opposite is true, then, that when one does obey God, he does hear him. If he doesn't listen to him, if he's allowing himself to rebel in iniquity, then if he is surrendered in obedience, God will then hear him. So, prayer in the long run is unobstructed. That that, that communication line is unobstructed as long as we obey God. 
Anytime our prayers are not being answered, we do need to ask ourselves a simple question. Am I obedient to God? Or is there a root of rebellion in my heart? And if you can honestly say that with your heart, you may not be perfect, but your desire is to please God and to obey Him, then it's likely that He's just withholding the answer until a better time for you in in your life. Prayer, of course, is our connection to the Heavenly Father and to the Heavenly Storehouse. And so therefore, you're going to have fruit in your season. Your leaf will not wither. Through answered prayer. I like that Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. According to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages. World without end. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that a wonderful promise? One of the great blessings of God is the privilege to commune with Christ in prayer. That's one of the great blessings. I mean, to literally fellowship in the presence of Christ in the throne room of God. There's no trespassing signs. There's no no trespassing signs along the road to prayer. No, they're they're not there. They're not there. It's an open line. It's toll free for you and I. The only demand, requirement is obedience. Not only do we see... This abiding peace and answer to prayer. But number three and finally, abundant power. Abundant power. It's available to you and I. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. With prayer and God's presence comes great power. That's all there is to it. There's no limit to what we can accomplish through the power of Christ. There's no limit. Now we limit ourselves, let's be honest. We say things are impossible when in reality with God all things are possible. Oh, we we say things like I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me, but we don't really believe that. If we really believe that, I think our lives would be drastically different in many, many areas, in many ways. I'm not trying to be critical or cynical or Negative, I'm just saying that in every one of our lives, I think there's plenty of room for marked obedience. There's plenty of room for faith that says nothing is impossible with God. David faced a giant. He came out on top. Saul was a persecutor of Christians, and yet he went on to set the world on fire for Jesus Christ. Who can forget about the men and women throughout history who have courageously faced the lions in the Colosseum, stood at the stake while the flames engulfed their bodies? Who can forget about those that endured the instruments of of, of torture that were devised to break their spirits? And not only did it not break their spirits, but it kindled a fire in whose flames it has continued to this day. I mean, today, the Christian church is a, a, a light, a flame. It is burning today because there are people who have endured suffering. How'd they do that? They did that out of obedience. And that obedience afforded them great, abundant power. You have that available to you. Nothing is impossible for us today. Nothing. Nothing. Mary 
she believed and thus she trusted. This week, Joseph, he believed and he obeyed. We sing a song, Trust and Obey. It says, when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still and with all who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know, it always costs more to disobey God than it does to obey God. In 1986... Chernobyl nuclear power plant had a meltdown. That meltdown devastated a city and it brought panic to an entire world. What you may not know is that there were two electrical engineers in the control booth that night. And I guess the best thing that could be said for what they were doing is that they were kind of playing around with the machine. They were performing what the Soviets would later describe as an unauthorized experiment. What they were trying to do is they were trying to see how long the turbine would free will once they removed the power from it. How long it would continue to spin. Now, you've got to understand that taking the power off of that kind of nuclear reactor is a very dangerous thing to do. Why? Because those kind of reactors are unstable at low, low rates and low ranges. In order to get the nuclear, in order to get the reactor down to that kind of power, to that speed, where they could perform the test that they were interested in performing, they had to manually override the computer-driven alarm systems. As the reactor slowed, the computer came up and said, Stop. Dangerous. Go no further. Well, with that warning, they simply manually overrode the alarm. Again, the computer issued a warning. Stop. Dangerous. Go no further. Again, the two manually overrode the system, ignoring the warning. Stop. Dangerous. Go no further. Flashed the screen. And again, they ignored it and they overrode the system. That warning would be issued six times. And one by one, rather than shutting off the experiment, they shut off the alarms and kept going. You know how it ended. Nuclear fallout that was recorded all around the world that ultimately caused the largest industrial accident in world history. See, when we disregard God's clear warnings, when we neglect God's word, we are in for a meltdown. It's going to leave us devastated. It is going to leave those around us hurting and harmed. May we obey like Joseph obeyed. Just simply do what God tells us to do. Again, this morning I mentioned it, but let me close with this quote. Peter, I, I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. For, for synth, F-O-R-S-Y-T-H-E. That's a name for you. Yeah, Whatever. Look at all these PhDs in the crowd making me feel somewhat ignorant tonight. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's what they said. He was right. Now listen to what he said, though. Listen to what he said. The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. 
The first duty of every soul is to find not its freedom, but its master. Again, tonight, I ask the simple question, who's your master? We need to obey the Lord. There's such wonderful blessings in obedience, but we have to choose to obey. Good intentions will never, ever take the place of simple obedience. Father, we come to you. We ask for your leadership. We certainly pray, Father, that you would help us. Father, again, we are a needy people. We are grateful, Father, that that when we endeavor to obey, you will graciously provide us with your favor. Lord, in doing so, we'll enjoy your blessings. Lord, tonight help us as your children to make conscious decisions every day of our life to obey, to obey. To once again, every day, to make a conscious decision to place you on the throne of our life and to obey you. Father, we need you tonight. Lord, there might be one in this room that's without Christ, that has not even obeyed in the area of, of, of their soul. You've cried out to them. You've, you're telling them they need you. They must trust you. Their sin is too big that only you can wash it away. You say, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. You say, if a man is a thirst, let him come. If he's hungry, let him come. The Lord, help them to obey if they have yet to receive Christ. May they in just a moment, when the music begins to play, step out into the closest aisle, make their way forward, and I'll have someone take a Bible and show them how they can know for sure heaven's their home. But Lord, tonight, especially for we as believers, help us, Lord, to make a conscious decision to leave you on the throne, and if you're not there, to put you back on, and then, Lord, to simply obey. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Let's all stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed, as the music plays tonight. Won't you come tonight? Maybe the Holy Spirit.